Welcome back guys to 11 o'clock with Yubin and Jihan, the podcast where we talk about life, death and everything in between. How's it going guys? Today we have a, uh, a guest with us that studied with me back in college and is now studying in the US. Welcome, Yvette. Hi. Hello guys. <laughs> oh my god. Hello Yvette. How are you? I'm good. It's nice talking to you guys. You know what? This feels surreal right now. <laughs> <laughs> You wait, you wait. We have we have a very hard question for you. What? Do you listen to our podcast? Why would you ask me that on air? We talked before this. Why would you ask me that on air? I feel like you're putting me into a corner and I'm not giving you the power to do that. So I'm not going to answer that question. Uh, well said, well said, well said. Okay. Fine. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> I first met Yvette in 2018. I think I think I went to visit G and then we all started hanging out on the balcony. I think one of the best con- best starter conversation I've had. The first thing she said to me when we met was that you're one of those. And then I was like, what do you mean? It's like, oh, you're Indian, you're in BAC and you're doing law. You're one of those. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I and I remember sense. looking at G and thinking that did she just stereotype me to be the most like <laughs> Asian outcome that could be? And then <laughs> such an asshole i really was like how did you guys oh my i mean accurate but <laughs> yeah accurate but still <laughs> oh my god you know, I lived, like i grew up in malaysia around brickfields so i saw a lot of like yeah. like you know law students around that area and you know huh. they were they were from pre- like they're predominantly from a certain race so <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. It's it's a fact. Yeah, it's yeah. Fact. It is a fact. It is a fact. But still, so so that was my first ever um encounter with with Yvette. But since then, um, we've built a very wonderful friendship um together. Yeah. You know, G introduced me to her, and it's been such a blessing. But thank you so much for joining us today. This thank is going to be a really good episode. <laughs> Today's episode is going to be about the politics, uh, the American politics, uh, in contrast to how it runs in Malaysia, in contrast to how it runs in the US. So Yvette is a political science student in America. And I'm so glad that she decided to join us today to discuss this in length and just have a conversation about it. Nothing in specific, but I guess just a good conversation to get us in the know of what's happening in the world right now. I mean, yeah, it must be it must be quite an experience to be a foreign student, um, being able to experience the US elections firsthand. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really weird because like everything is going on around me, but also like I feel like excluded because of course I'm not part of the election. You know, I'm not electing for them, but like. Um, it's more of like, because I'm taking political science here, and in my college, at least in the, in the liberal arts um, college, there's not many foreign students. So I have to like learn about politics and like debate about politics with mostly white men. Like um, that's like statistically in my classes, um, there are more men than there are women and they're like American, um, American men. And that's really hard sometimes to like, if you, you know, when we, when we come to discuss about some things, like um, like our viewpoints would like, it would it was it would just be very hard to like see from each other's point of views and mm-hmm. um i think after some time i realized like how different my perception is about politics compared to like the people here so i i actually don't really talk about politics much with like the locals here because i think our viewpoints is very different okay um so you you started off doing political science back in adp back in, here in malaysia and then you move to the U.S. How how did your perception of um, politics change as uh, you move from here to the U.S.? Um, actually, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty interesting because 
<clears throat> when I was in Malaysia, I guess because I was younger also, you know, I was I was very hopeful. Um, I, I looked at politics as like, yeah, sure, there are um, some dirty politicians and stuff. I was aware of that. But like, I looked at politics as like, it's, it's like a game, right? Like, um, if you can play it well, there's some bad players and there's some good players. If you know how to play it well and to like, to play it to the people's advantage, I thought that you could make really wonderful changes in the world. So I was very like, idealistic, I guess. Um, I adored the United Nations, <laughs> things like that. I was like, whoa, these are like the good things in life. And I was very hopeful. And it like, that, I guess that's pretty good because it motivated me to, to study really hard. But when I came here, I, you know, I'm, I'm like older and have more experience and the classes I'm taking now are like a bit higher level. Um, now my perceptions totally changed. <laughs> I went to like an anarchist phase where I'm like, I don't believe in politics. I don't believe in government. Destroy everything. So Didn't we all? Yeah. <laughs> Destroy the UN, you know, like I went through that phase. Um, but now I feel like I've, I've like, I got over that phase also because that's like just, you know, a, a, like a phase filled with resentment. But now I feel like I'm more realistic about politics. Um, and now I think with politics, I used to think you can only make changes if you're in the government, you know, you have to study hard, you have to work hard, um, be an influential person, make some changes in the world. I used to think like that's that's the goal, but I think like now I'm starting to realize that um, if you really want to make some changes, you want to make this world a better place. Um, it's actually easier to do it from outside of government. It's easier to start with your friends first. It's easier to start with your family first. That's actually more realistic and it will actually, you know, produce more change than if you were to be in politics and stuff that's that's quite powerful that you said that because uh, even here in malaysia as you and i have spoken about uh, previously on the podcast um we have we have a lot of goals a lot of big goals for mm -hmm. the country that we want to see change but uh, over time we sort of grew pessimistic you know in the sense that mm -hmm. wow it's going to be hard near impossible yeah but beyond that we also realize that change starts in the home mm -hmm. you know when you change with the people around you you grow with the people around you first only then can you truly influence others. Yes. Yeah. So that's how it changed. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess ex exactly like what G said, right? When we started thinking about things, I mean, like, just to name a few, at first things first, it was like, it was the Bumiputra, right? So it was the Article 153. It's the privileges that are given to a certain, the majority of the race and, and stuff like that. that. That we came and it's like, there are certain things that we disagree with and stuff like that. And when you want to go about seeing that, how, how can we deal with this? How can we give a more, uh, a society that's more equal and, and fair to everybody? You start realizing that the system itself dis, uh, discriminates against these things. There are Article 10.4, there are stuff like that that prevent you from even voicing out an opinion. Like even now, me saying out the sentence, I'd be very careful with how I phrase things because <laughs> if I disagree or if I start putting out propaganda saying that we should not have those things, I could go to jail for no less than 60 days. And and with things like that, you feel very restricted. And so that was one thing that I wanted to bring up with the fact that, you know, when you, when as a political science student and, and, as, and in the world of politics and all of that, the, the legislation side of things and the way that you run the country shouldn't they like run although in parallel not work to help each other like gain power right like these people set laws a certain way to favor them in the long run like this was written back in the 70s and 80s and it, it and it has evolved more and more to favor them in all sorts of things like it started off merely just as uh, who controls the economy it has evolved now uh, even in context of like uh, educational placements things like as, as, as minute as it can wherever they can find opportunities the law uh, evolves to accord 
to those things. So it, it's weird to see uh, how there are some things that are allowed and accepted and the people, I feel like, I mean, as myself, I feel like, you know, there's not much you can do to, to combat against this thing. There's not much you can voice out to, to say these things. So do you, like, how, does, how do you go about that? How do you think we should go about that when it comes down to things where the constitution itself stops you from talking? You know, like. um, I think this is interesting because um, this semester I'm taking a women in politics class, which is like we're talking about the role of women uh, in politics. Um, it's a bit like a, of a different topic, but um, what I found interesting from that class is that I learned because, um, okay, so the study of political science is actually um, really interesting because we, we, we try to look at politics and social events and we try to um, drop patterns. We try to find patterns. Um, empirical data so that we can make an, a hypothesis and a null hypothesis and actually test it out like through the scientific method um, and we found that like governments they are not likely to make change so for example like if you want to make change if you want to voice out change and um, you you know as an individual you keep uh, you tweet out something you write articles or something you you, you know you, you voice out change um, they are less likely to to make that change because um, again the purpose of government is not really to make change, if you think about it. The purpose of government is to keep the status quo because it has worked thus far in their favor. So they're not going to make changes. In fact, um, even if you become a politician and you want to make changes, it's hard because governments are not made to change. So um, what they found to be the most effective way is through organization and like mobilization. This is one very important part about politics because um, government are not likely to make change except if they are facing um, a domestic or international pressure to do so. And um, for that, you need to create a domestic pressure because, you know, internet, like international pressure such as human rights um, issues or feminism issues, they are already there. They are already international, um, you know, like movements talking about this, like the Black Lives Matter. Um, what you need to do is to create a domestic pressure that is strong enough to actually influence change. And when you want to make a pressure, you need to mobilize and you need to organize. The hardest part about political science is we still haven't figured out what is it that inspires people to mobilize? Because we know it is the most effective way. And we've been like doing up researches for the past decades, trying to figure out like what is the most effective way to make people come together. And it's really hard because if you look at cases of people coming together, they're usually led by like a narcissist or a dictator or like a cult, you know, like, but when it comes to actual political movements, you need to frame um, your your perception is right. You need to, like, you need to know what your message. You need to be very strong. You you have to be organized, and you need to you need to have the money. You need to have the resources, and if you're able to do this, you are more likely to make change than if you are, like, in the government itself. Even. You know this. Uh, this lies quite intimately with uh, Malaysian politics in the sense that I, I mean, this is just my own observation, but I seem to witness more support from Malaysians for the BLM movement. Then there is support for the uh, for the fight against racism for Indians in Malaysia, and it's exactly as you said it is right. Is that we can talk about it and you can raise the hype on Twitter, but without mobility there will be no change. And there was, it came to a point where I told uh, I told Yuvan and my and my other friends I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go stand in front of the parliament and just <laughs> hold up a sign. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, even if it's me alone, right, it's fine. Like let them arrest me, whatever. Like. It's that first step that, that it's the needs first to be step. made. Yeah. And if you can gather people, you know, if you can gather and it's it's honestly like I know um um this is like you know, eat the rich and everything. <laughs> but also like realistically speaking, if you have a social movement, if you can make networks with the elites of the society, um, like you know, when in, in let's say in the case of America, for example, when um women has been trying to you know, women only were allowed to vote a hundred years ago. 
like exactly 100 years ago in August. Is, um, uh, before that, they weren't allowed to vote for such a long time. And the first people, I mean, the people, the group of women who worked the hardest was actually black women. Black women were, because they faced double discrimination, so they fought really hard um, for getting women the rights to vote. But they didn't succeed for like about four generations. And it, was, it wasn't only until the white elite women, like, you know, they start joining up the, the movement, did the movement start to like, um, become effective. So when you talk about, about movement, and I, I, I'm just mentioning this because I feel like for young people, it's easy to be too idealistic. Like, you know, you want to make change. Like you want to like, just go to the streets, fucking arrest me. I don't care. <laughs> but if you want to make change, like try to do it in a smart way, link up with powerful people. If you can, you know, like mobilize yourself, frame your ideology, right? Like actually do it right. And like, you are more like, like, it's not impossible. Like they want you to think it's impossible, but it's not impossible. You know, the more you the more you tell me about politics, the more I am um, the more I am observing a kind of symmetry between politics and um, business, right? Um, it just seems like politics is just a it's just a business at a much larger scale. When it comes to business, the only change that happens is change that benefits the company in terms of revenue, or when, like you said, like when there is pressure, uh, when there is external pressure, or um, the staff of the company uh, riot, right? Uh, some kind of a kind of domestic pressure. How is it is it is it such like do you think that um politics is just one big business scheme like is it just to make revenue because everything that you've just described and asked you it's it's one big summary of the word capitalism to me in my mind <laughs> well <laughs> i mean i'm in america so yes it's one big business <laughs> but i mean it depends i mean some countries are not like that not all governments are like that right like if you look at scandinavian countries or countries who in the spectrum they score high in the welfare you know um in the welfare, they call it like their, their welfare states. So they, they give their people a lot of welfare. So it kind of depends how you define your government. So um, for example, uh, Indonesia is a republic, right? It's the Republic of Indonesia. And like that word, like you use it, but you don't like, what does that mean, republic? So actually, if you study about the origins of republic, it means um, the collective need is more important than the individual need. That's what it means in a republic. So if you're a member of a republic, um, you know, sometimes you get arrested for things you shouldn't be arrested for, but, you know, it's for the common good. So, like, it's the republic, you know? So it kind of depends on, like, what you are, like, how do you view your government? What is your relationship with the government? Because some, like, some, um, some countries look at their government like it's a dictatorship, you know, like, it's more of like a, they're like this big brother state, but there's also governments where the government is more of like a service. They're like welfare states. They help you out. So it, it really depends also on the, like, this is where ideology comes in. Like, what ideology does your government believe in? Is it a leftist government? Is it a rightist government? Is it a libertarian government? This all matter. And you find that the more right it is, like, the more, like, capitalist it is, like, the more businessy it becomes, sort of, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very interesting when you like brought up like the Scandinavian countries and such because yeah. like you know like countries that prioritize on the welfare of the people and all often um, follow again like a very old um, theory that I studied in A levels I think the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So it's it's pretty much in in full concept I guess to summarize it there are five levels. It starts off with what you need for basic need your health um, care appreciation and then it goes up to self actualization. But the main point is that you can't achieve self-actualization or anything that above the pyramid without satisfying the one below first right, right and so for countries like scandinavia and like new zealand and stuff that that almost that, that has a certain a certain level where a lot of people are educated and have the 
the basic needs that they need they don't need to the, the homeless rates are low the unemployment rates are low then the government can sort of prioritize on other things and other aspects of life where they start um, helping and such but it's interesting because like when you said like you know some countries uh some governments are uh, follow a dictatorship and such like we in thailand they had an issue where recently people started protesting um against the monarchy yeah. and that was like the first time i've ever seen that happen yeah. because thailand is so strict about how much how much respect you got to have for the king yes and um, i remember when like he passed away they made they, they it was a rule that women had to cry for 14 days yeah. and like, they had to sit and like yeah and i was like this is mad this is <laughs> but, but of course like you respect the culture and everything but to suddenly see the change of heart in the people to go out and protest and say that you know we're done with this shit like like it's not yeah. fair and it's not democratic for them then it raises the question to like how much corruption plays a role in all of these things because i see malaysia having pretty good levels in certain aspects of things like there are there are some places where you know that the economy is doing well enough and and that if if all is projected well the faith of this country could be somewhere else today you know we wouldn't be thriving still still trying to be a first world country still trying to just trying to change up you know the government constantly says that no oh, we are a developing country but the reality is that we are a third world country and that we discriminate against the people we condemn the immigrants who come in here we want them to go away things like we don't even appreciate the the bangladeshis and the nepalis who come here and help us like help us grow the country so in all of this i guess it just boils down to the fact that corruption comes in and destroys a lot of things where though the government's intention like you said is like to maintain the peace and to keep things flowing then corruption comes to change that up and that's i think that's where i agree with g where capitalism plays a role where they can profit the most so that profiting the most allows them to get the biggest cut of all of these things and <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's pretty dark i It's, it is pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> Every politician there is you sort of have to wonder do you have other intentions for this you know like there's okay. not one politician <laughs> that you can point at. <laughs> okay, this is like a personal opinion of mine like this is like this is nothing there's nothing academic about what I'm going to say. <laughs> But like um because I'm studying political science sometimes I have family members asking me like do you want to be a politician? Like don't you want to get into politics? And like By the way, the only like I don't want to be a politician. I will never become a politician. <laughs> That is um, because I believe I personally believe to be a politician, you need to have one of the dark triad traits. You know, like narcissism, psychopathy, Machiavellism. Machiavellianism. I think I can't pronounce that word. But you need to have one of these three things to become a polit like to become a successful politician. So, and I think when you say about like what you said about corruption, about like how people don't <laughs> respect one another and stuff like that. Um, It's it's we learned that this is like a it's I mean when you look at history you know you you've heard about the divide and conquer um, thing yeah. right like the, like it's easier for the government or it's easier for any groups of people to to conquer you if they they make you fight with one another you know like so within governments also like sometimes you see that they will they will create they will start categorizing people they will divide people into into different like you know, categories based on race, ethnicity, you know, like they have these identifiers to make them fight with one another or whatever, because it, it, it makes it easier for them to, to control people. And like, this is why um, I think the most important thing is about politics. Honestly, if like the, the most important element um, that needs to be instilled these days is like empathy, because it is only with empathy that you can look past through this, like, you know, artificial divisions that's been created before it is only through empathy can you overlook through those boundaries i mean uh that's that's it's very idealistic to say that you know i mean i mean uh it's, it's right for you to say that but 
the fact is that the world today uh, runs on a, on a framework of rules and regulations and these rules and regulations are what we call politics right and we are seeing it from the uh, what do you call it the observer perspective of what these uh, what the effects of these politics are but the fact is that there are people up there who are viewing who are viewing life who are, who, are, who view this world from the giving out from the setting the rules and regulations for the how the world runs so my question to you is that how different do you think life is for us than it is for them like is it truly a lie is it all really just one big illusion like we've we've always talked about this. we've just spoken yes. about this so many times that you know we, we are living in in kind of a framework that people have set for us and uh it is similar to the idea of the matrix you know there it's very animated and sci-fi but it's it's true it's true for our reality as well you know in the sense that we are living based on code we are living based on rules and how how different how different is our lives compared to theirs and how different can our lives be if this illusion is broken i think if you if you talk about politicians let's say 500 years ago 600 years ago you know when there's the kings and queens and lords or like a thousand years ago where um countries really stay to themselves and they don't really communicate with another um except for trade then yes life was very different right they were the, they were the kings and queens they were like the rulers of the world of course like they live in this whole like they have this opulent lifestyle and everything but and and if you're talking about politicians right now politicians let's say malaysia or indonesia or even the us um their life is i'm i don't know how it is to live like them because i've i've not them i've never met them or whatever but um I think it's important to um also remember that like we live in a globalized world right now right so politics is different we have the UN now politics is interlinked like the economy is all economy is interlinked everything is interlinked so let's say you are the prime minister of Malaysia yeah you are the most powerful man in Malaysia you know like everybody in Malaysia respect you but also at the same time um when you make decisions like as a prime minister of Malaysia or something you also need to take into account um we call this global actor right because as a as a government of a country you are a global actor you know in the global stage of politics you know you need to trade with a lot of countries now like what what country that what one country does affects like other countries nowadays so what i'm saying is that like within malaysia there's this hierarchy of like power right like you think like they're the number one but also if you like just take like just zoom out they're also part of like another hierarchy and they're like other governments that they need to listen so when it comes to lifestyle sure they have opulent lifestyle they have money and you know they have everything but when it comes to power i think the way power is distributed nowadays is a little bit more complicated and a little bit more interlinked um so it's not so much of a personal power so much like one person has all the power the power is shared and interlinked and it overlaps it's kind of hard to pinpoint there will always be more power yeah there will always be something bigger that's why we always say that if you live your life living going after wealth you will never find it because the more wealth you attain the more wealth you seek exactly exactly <laughs> so it starts again at home with your friends just start there it's more realistic if you really want to make a change you know i i'm honestly so surprised um when when uh, when we when we talked about having this conversation and how you are uh, how you've been studying political science how uh, Uh, we were going to have a discussion about US versus Malaysian politics. I was I was very cynical, you know. I was expecting the conversation to go uh more pessimistic, <laughs> but it's turning out a lot more optimistic <laughs> and it makes me happy. <laughs> I had to do a lot of yoga while studying political science, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's really dark. No, but I 
I yeah, but I think it is. I I love this conversation. I think it is important that you know, like a lot of people just write off these things as like, oh, like it's it's there's no good to all of this. You know, yeah. it's all just going to like, what's the point of everything? So being able to have a conversation with the perspective that hey, there is hope for y'all. You know, like there is, there is a way that we can change these things. Like it's it's very nice. It's I mean, a change of pace in, in yeah. Things. The thing about politics is that it's super emotional. Like people, like number one, it's a very masculine field. It's very heavily masculine. It's very highly patriarchal, but also at the same time, it's very emotional. It invokes a lot of emotions. Um, you know, when you hear about politics, it makes you angry. It makes you cry. You know, it makes you happy. Like politics can do that to you. It's very emotional. Um, the good thing about studying political science is that we look at it through like a scientific perspective. So we we take the emotions out of it. We look at empirical data. We look at you know patterns. We try to draw patterns. Like. Um, in the field, we, we're sort of like the opposite of historians, you know, because historians look at politics like they focus on people like Hitler, they, look, they focus on people like Pol Pot, like they, they focus on the individuals, you know, they focus on the events, they focus on like their lives and whatever. Um, and because, you know, they think like this is what's important, whereas political science looks at it's not about the individual, because the individual doesn't matter. Even if Hitler wasn't born, there's going to be somebody else that's just going to be just like him. So we try to just look at the empirical data. We try to look at um, repeated patterns, and then we try to like do a whole research that, where we can um, see what's the truth, you know. And that's really hard to find these days because politicians don't tell you the truth, you know. Like the fact that, for example, um, like refugees, right? Refugees like take a lot of money, so they tell you like politicians will tell these people like, you know what? We should get these refugees out because they're taking a lot of our resources and everything. Whereas if you look at the actual research, like the actual data that's been you know, collected, they found that like after three generations, um, yes, refugees will take, take some of the country's money, like the first generation, but by the third generation, they would have already multiplied that money threefold for the country. Hmm. So actually refugees give you more money, you know, it just takes more time, but yeah. they will give you more money. That's the actual research. But, you know, politics is emotional. So when you try to be, when you try, when you tell them these things, they think like, you're telling them propaganda or lies or like this is your liberal agenda or something. But there's no the science says, you know, like and the science says, you know, if you mobilize, if we stay together, if we make it right, we can make change. So that's what's giving me a little bit more hope and like try to be less emotional about it because it's inherently an emotional thing. So, you know, that's yeah. uh, it's, it's funny how that's uh, quite similar to the field of psychology in the sense that um, we always talk about getting uh, rights and uh, equal opportunity for all of these um, minority groups, right? Like uh, uh, trans people, um, homosexual people, and all the new, all the different uh, different categories of sexuality, gender, um, that haven't, that have yet to have uh, their official presence in certain countries like Malaysia. Like as of now, it is still illegal for you to be gay in Malaysia, right? And whenever I bring this up with with, with certain people, because it is an emotional topic. A lot of them tend to fend off the topic and just um, uh, eliminate the possibility for change simply because people are afraid of change, and they would rather just live life uh, following a following a set of rules. That when I bring up empirical data and say, you know, this is there are some people out there that say, you know, uh, being being gay is a lie. That people are just faking it. That they're doing for for financial benefits, for insurance benefits. I'm like, no, that's that, that is not right. Like, how how can you say that uh, me announcing that I'm gay? Is going to give me any kind of financial benefit in a country that that, that literally that, uh, that condemns you for it, right? So then I, I I bring out the data and say no, this is how it is. This is the biology. This is this is a thing. This is real. You know, you, you have to you have to accept that it is real. 
but that's that's uh, that's where the, the argument uh, uh, when it, uh, the argument that you brought up emotion versus empirical data comes in uh, i just happen to see a kind of similarity there yeah um and with some topics like um uh, let's say like lgbt lgbtq um feminism you know like like let's say child marriage um topics like this are not only emotional they are also transformative because it's not just um because in your head you're like i'm just fighting for gay people to be free right i just want i just want my gay friends to be able to love whoever they love like in your head it's a very innocent um like you know it's a very innocent thing like it doesn't have to be that hard but you have to realize it's some some um issues directly challenge the social social norms like in the case, case of lgbt it directly challenge um patriarchy like the family structure um it directly challenge the role of what what being a woman and what being a man means and all these social norms like they are what people cling on to to find a sense of identity if they haven't you know looked further than that <laughs> like mm -hmm. family structures and like all these things also governments benefit heavily from like family structures like from status quo basically so when you're fighting about gay rights or whatever and you're like why why won't they listen to me like it's just it's just very simple it's just the biology is right there you have to realize like how is the family structure in your country formed what is it like um who is benefited from the family structure um in your country what are the gender roles in your country those things have to be accounted for because people would only accept these transformative ideas if they are more lenient to change these structures you know like people are more likely like if if somebody is not so attached to the traditional family structure of like a woman and a man and you know stuff like that if they're not so attached to that idea you know they don't even have to be gay or have gay friends to be like yeah why just let them marry you know this is where this is where spirituality comes into play right yeah. you can't <laughs> identify yourself as anything bigger than just Um, your social presence or like your social mm -hmm. identity, social identity, then you're stuck, then you're stuck. and then therefore you're stuck. there is a lock. Therefore, there is a lock. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that can change because, you know, it uh, it may sound very uh, very innocent, very simple. You know, I just want my gay friend to be able to love whoever he wants to whoever love. Wants but to love. that's the point, right? Like I do want my gay friend to love whoever he wants to love, and I want him to live happily doing that. You know? Yeah. And I. But it's more complicated think, than that because the oppression of your gay friends has made so many other people rich, richer, you know? So you have to realize that aspect of it, that it's not like they oppress them just for the sake of oppression. It's not like they don't know. It's, it's not like they don't know, you know? They know. Like, yeah. it's like the, the war on drugs. They know weed is not like, you know, like meth or something. Like, they know weed is like just a plant. They know that. But they benefited a lot, right, from like, keeping it illegal so yeah and then they wrap it up in this emotional thing with like you know this is our culture this is who we are as malaysians this is our family you know this is who we are so then you get wrapped up in it and you can't see past that you know yeah yeah the the idea you know like malaysia's i think malaysia and singapore were all initially so known for like you know like oh if you have a drug and it just has to be like a certain amount of grams and that's it it's a death sentence for you no arguments no no this one mm -hmm. and that's still a concern now they're still yeah. still combating things like that but it's just that impression that they set on you that this is what happens if you have this this is what yeah. happens that, and, and that just shuts off the idea of like the potential benefits that it may come with they don't want to rule the idea to all of that but of course to other things like alcohol and cigarettes 
that they that they still argue saying that oh it's still bad for your health it's still bad for you and all of that they allow those things yeah. because for the yes. mere fact that they benefit of the tax they get to throw this percentage of tax that's percentage of tax knowing that there's a certain sense of addiction to it and so that people yeah. are going to come to it anyway whatever price i put for it people are going to continue paying and this is how i support the country but in those aspects when it comes to weed they they've already benefited from other aspects of it so they just go on continuing that journey and saying that oh this is how weed is this is the rule that we place out but that's funny that's funny and i like the idea that you brought up earlier about like you know when you're talking about the political science uh, idea of like where it started and how it originated and all when i was doing uh, when i was in elos when we studied law it was almost identical how it formed it, there was a certain um, there was one king ruler there who decided that this is right this is wrong and then there were too many cases for him to deal so they sent out the norman conquest to go out and find other cases that other problems that people go through and then they wrote precedents that oh if this happens maybe you go by this but that didn't make sense because there were a lot of cases with variables to it and so people weren't getting justice and the answer to all, all a lot of these problems so either that you were going to be killed or that you had to compensate with monetary expenses and mm. people often didn't want either of those things it's not about hey i want that person to die or that i want to be paid for all of these things so then common law comes into play and all of that but that's where common law is sort of like the the thing that fills the gap in the law system but that's where empathy comes in that's where reason comes in that's where they look into the why this happened the intentions of that and then mm. they build laws according to that and in the same sense you know like i think that's what lacks and i completely agree with you i think empathy like yes. when you said that i had like a goosebumps moment because i think that's what people <laughs> lack as a whole we as long as yeah. our circle and our community is fine yeah. all is good and yeah. what what i don't see doesn't bother me you know it's i mean it's interesting that that stuck to you because like that empathy part is there's a very like that's honestly that was my biggest like enlightenment moment <laughs> in in political science was yeah. like that's the answer is like empathy so I was read, like so a year ago I was reading um, for one of my classes I was assigned to read Aristotle and like some of the like early philosophers I was studying ancient philosophical thoughts um, so I had to study texts from like 2000 years ago and see what these people had to say about what it means to be like what it you know means to be a good person or like what it means to be a good country what it means to be a good leader and like it's relevant because um, like our current political structure and our current political thought was started by these men right by these like greek men they were the one who came up with the concept of democracy and like um leadership in that structure um anyway so there, there was a lot of technicalities of course i had to learn about like what does a republic mean what does a democracy mean what does this mean like there's a lot of that part of it but there was this one like chapter that really caught my eye and it wasn't really like discussed a lot but um it was aristotle who argued that If you want a country to run well, you need um, their people to be able to be good friends and to be empathetic to one another. He said friendship and care and empathy is very important. And this is not just like a feel good, you know, like this is not just like, oh, he was being cute. You know, he's being positive. Like he argued that like, no, uh, you, a country can't run if its people are too selfish. Like because human beings are like social beings, right? Like in that sense, we want to live the good life. The entire reason why we have a government is so that we can have a good life, right? Because we could have just lived in in the jungle and not interact with these people, but that wouldn't be the good life, right? So we agreed to come together to divide our labor and blah blah blah, so we can live a good life. You can't live a good life without love and care, because we are social beings. You know, we need that to grow. So he argued that like you need to be able to have 
to be able to train your citizens to be good friends. And by friends, he means like, uh, you need to learn, you need to teach that in school. Like it should be part of the syllabus, how to be a good friend and how to be caring because how to care for one another is not instinctive. It's not like some people don't know what to do. If you, if you go up to them and be like, I'm feeling like shit, I want to kill myself. They wouldn't know what to do. It's not like nobody, like it's not an instinctive thing. Right? So he said like, it should be part of the syllabus. They should tell people what to deal, like how, what to do. If like how to be a good friend, how to care for one another. And this was before like the concept of therapist <laughs> even existed. And he suggested it should be a real job to take care of one another, to like to, to instill empathy and everything. It should be a real thing because without those things, like, a country will not be stable. You cannot live a good life, you know? And yeah. yeah. So, and then this I semester- I mean, what? maybe, maybe, sorry. No, no, please, go Okay, uh, and then like this last part was, I thought that was really interesting, but I didn't know what to make out of that. I mean, I, I just thought like, whoa, that's really cool that he said that. But this semester, um, I'm taking a genocide class, which is, you know, we're learning about genocide and why do people, why do people, you know, conduct genocide and how do they do it? You know, like, because genocides happen all the time. Like as we're speaking right now, there are like a lot of genocides happening, taking place in the world. Um, so we we're talking about like Hitler's, the Hitler's of the world and all these evil men, you know, and we're trying to figure out like, why do they yeah. do what they do? And mm -hmm. I had to read a lot of books about that. And <laughs> the conclusion is actually really simple. Like I, because, you know, when you think about evil men like Hitler, you're like, I'm not Hitler. I'm so different than him. He's like a different breed. He's not even human. I'm human. He's not human. And what what I learned this semester is that, like, it's not hard for you to turn into Hitler. Like, it's actually possible to take a perfectly good person and, like, influence them in a way that makes them evil. You know, like, because, because humans are capable of doing that. Like, we love cruelty. We have that part in us. You know, we are a super predator. That's how we became the number one species in the world. And... If we had the choice, we could have, we could, we could just kill one another, like all the time. The, the question is like, why do we kill one another? The question is, why don't we kill one another all the time? Why don't we? Like, what is it that's stopping us from killing one another all the time? And a lot of it was actually just empathy and respect. Like that's the answer, empathy and respect. If you have empathy and you have respect, you will not hurt one other, like another person. You have to have either one. Because let's say you have no empathy, right? Like you have no empathy at all but you still respect, you still have respect. So you look at one person, you look at somebody who's not like you, like you look at a gay person, you look at a disabled person and you say, you know what? I don't, I don't know how it feels to be you, you know? And I don't care, but I respect that you're a human being and that you deserve respect. So if you have respect, you won't hurt him either, right? But you have to have empathy and respect. If you don't have empathy and respect, that's what like turns you into Hitler. So what's different from you and Hitler is just those two things. It's not like education, it's not economic background, it's not sexual orientation, it's not where you were born, when you were born. It's just empathy and respect. That's very important. And that's what's lacking a lot. Like we do, like they don't teach you how to be empathetic in the society. They don't teach you how to be caring to one another. So that makes it very hard yeah. and it makes it easier for you to draw boundaries to other people. Like you're not like me, you're not like me. Therefore I hate you, you know? like that's the main like gist of it like that's the main problem is empathy yeah, it seems it's... like yeah, sorry go on <laughs> no no you go first it just seems like the the solution to our problems in the world today stem from the psychology of the human mind that we lack psychological education in the youth and that needs to change all that we need is one extra subject in our schools 
and it can change so much in society when we talk about psychology it it encompasses not just mental health it it talks about things like empathy you know things like respect things like loving one another things like how to how to take care of a friend you know and uh, what does it mean uh, what does it mean uh, to to respect somebody who is in a minority group you know what are minority groups now, all of this fall under the field of psychology and i think that's probably one step that we should take in our country yeah i think like you said you know like an extra subject that like oh how to be a decent human being you know like basic steps to how to care for a friend how to how to handle your emotions and stuff like that but i think like as you said you know when we spoke about em- things like empathy and stuff like that one thing that i've learned over time and with a lot of things that who in friends who come with me with distress is that all i really know and the first step that i do is that tell them that hey you're not alone like i'm here i think that that word like i'm here has been something that i've learned to to be able to like say out of impulse to know that you know like you're not going to go through this alone and with stuff like that and mm-hmm. when like i like for that articles that i write for the things i read online that's that that thing constantly comes back to me is the fact that how do you help people who who the government or who whoever who is capable of helping them isn't helping them how do you change at uh, help the disadvantage how do you help people who are suffering and and you know there are things where like even recently something as small as like there was a flood in seremban and like there were dogs that were being um like drowned and mm-hmm. like they didn't have a shelter home and everything like the only goal in mind was like how can you help that how can you change that and and it, 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 at the end it boils down to exactly those two words having respect for the animals that they deserve a good life and healthy life mm-hmm. and the fact that you have yeah. empathy that you see an animal suffering it doesn't have to be the same species as yes. you so you don't need to take advantage over yeah. it so it all just boils down to the fact that hey just be kinder to the world and and, and, and that yeah. and that and that's the tangent we pull out of a political uh, conversation i'm surprised <laughs> <laughs> honestly yes honestly yeah because when you look at politics you know like when you take out the emotions out of it you know like you know like wait a minute let's not get emotional about this let's look at like what's actually happening. happening you realize that this just is very simple you know like the more complicated a question is the more simple the answer <laughs> the answer is just empathy like we don't need we don't we don't know we don't know how to take care of another some people know you know but like it needs to be a it needs to be a whole thing like everybody should know how to take care of one another it should be taught because it's not instinctive it's not like people are born with this knowledge you know and empathy can mm-hmm. be learned even if you're born without empathy it can be learned with knowledge you know So, Yvette, I have a question for you. If, if that's the case, right? How are you going to teach a person like Donald Trump empathy? Um, okay, with the case of Donald Trump, okay. <laughs> you have to realize in a democracy, right? Also in a democracy, um there's this term called a demagogue. Okay? A demagogue is uh, a political leader who in in a democratic country who wins not by using reason or intellect um discussions. but they are they do it by manipulating people's emotions and using their biases okay donald trump is a narcissist again like that's just my theory i feel like you need to be somewhat of a narcissist to be a politician <laughs> like a successful politician you need to be somewhat of a narcissist he's a narcissist and like he represents um he represents the bias of the american people you know and like he just he's not he's so annoying i know like he's such an annoying person but like he's not the problem really if you look at it like the problem is that how can somebody like donald trump you know sit on the president's chair like that's the problem right like people like donald trump exist like people like him has always existed you know but why like how how did people vote for him like how did he end up in the white house like that's the problem there is a lot of people share his views you know yeah, why do people yeah. why do a lot of people share his views because they're hateful right 
to who? To other people, to the others, you know, like this us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what? And then you, you, yeah, you, you, you boil it down. Yeah. And then you boil it down and it's like, why do they hate these people? Blah, blah, blah. Empathy, right? They don't have empathy. They don't have respect. Yeah. It's insane. Like the majority of the, of the US then that, uh, that allowed Donald Trump to become president seem to share one common mentality, the lack of empathy. Of empathy. That's it. You know, that's it. That's why they do all these crazy things. They, they lock up kids, you know, they, they like, why, why go that extra mile to be that cruel? Because they don't have empathy. That's it. It's very simple. Yeah. Ah. I like, I, I love the outcome of this conversation and I'm so glad to have had you uh, come and talk <laughs> with us on this topic. Yeah, yeah. I, I learned, <laughs> learned so much and I'm so glad that, you know, it, it led to this, to this point where yeah. my mind feels so content. <laughs> you see, I got this postcard. Uh, wait, I got this postcard from Lansing, like a year ago. Empathy is a political issue. It is. Damn, it's it really more is. than you think it is. <laughs> oh. oh my god! Even I honestly, when when we started this conversation, uh, even prior to uh, like starting the recording, I was like, okay, this is just going to be very factual. This is going to be very straightforward, down to the fact <laughs> like what this is. But the fact that <laughs> this is where we are right now, yeah. I feel so so happy, and I'm really really I'm very glad. grateful that you joined I mean, us today. Because I, I learned so much. <laughs> politics is such like it's so negative, right? Like when you talk about politics to your family, it's always such a unpleasant experience it's filled with like you always argue with another it's always like why don't you understand me and like i just i'm glad that like i think it's important to be able to talk about politics in a way that doesn't make people feel that way you know because politics affects everybody like every issue is a political issue so you need to be able to talk about it in a logical in a you know in a rational sense you know like looking from each other's perspective otherwise you're just not gonna do anything good if you can't you know even Yes. Just, I know. I know. We're we're already running late on the recording, but I just ha- I just have this one question that I that I thought of, and I want to ask you. So, like in context, like you know, when we when we discuss that, in in short, we put it that you know, like political lacks the empathy of things, and that often you don't need to be a politician to make the change you want to see in the world and such. Then, what's your take on philanthropists? What's your take on billionaires like? bill gates and stuff that go about saying that oh, i don't like like people when somebody once asked him like why don't you be president and he's like i can do whatever change i need to do without being president because of the power yes and that's capitalism we don't need to yeah. touch on that but what's your take on the fact that as a philanthropist they they have the resources and the capabilities of making those changes would you say that that's an ideal uh, opportunity to take like would you say that that's the ideal outcome that people could have because that's what they go by right the fact that they have this much empathy yeah. for the world yeah well i i think um, you know, people feel a certain way about rich people, <laughs> you know, people feel a certain way about rich people. Again, this is very emotional, right? Especially if you grew up like in the middle class or like lower middle class, you look at rich people and you're like, I don't, you know, like eat the rich and stuff like that. But like, that's also another thing that, um, that I've, I'm starting to realize these days, like um, all these fake boundaries that the government, like or not the government, but like just the society has created, like, you know, race, sexuality and everything. It also exists in class forms. Like we have this thing called lower class, middle class, upper class you know, but like these boundaries are actually like invisible, right? Like, I mean, and do you realize how these three classes constantly fight with another? They don't, they don't get along. Why is that? You know, you know, if we can come together, you know how powerful that would be. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like um, with philanthropists, like I think, I think it's a double edged sword, right? Because like at one sense, it's good that they're giving money, right? Um, You do need money. Like, especially if you're like, especially if they're donating to movements, especially if they're donating to like, societies that try to inspire change like that's good because uh, like movements do need money you know like movements do need um, 
backups. But also at the same time, um, we can't for, like oversee the fact that they they are rich people in a society that allowed them to be rich. Like they are the people who benefits from the current status quo, right? They're the same people, right? The society, this unfairness of the society is what is like helped them out so far. So if they like donate money, like I don't know how sincere that is sometimes because like, do they really want change? Because like if change really do take place, they might lose some money or a lot of it or all of it if that change actually took place. So sometimes I feel like with, with rich people, they just donate money so people can shut up. You know, like Jeff Bezos, when he donated that money for the, for the like climate emergency or something, he donated some money, but he only did yeah. that. I, I feel like he only did that because people has been like noisy about it. So now like we should just leave him alone and let, let, let him do whatever he's doing now, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a bit like, I'm a bit uh, like suspicious yeah, of what is it they really want when they donate money. Because like, do you really want that change? Because if that change took place, like, you know, this would be bad for you, you know, like, so what is it that you want? That's just how I feel, though. Like, yeah. I'm not sure what the data is on that. It's, it's hard to be, it's hard to be optimistic on the issue when uh, we see so many hard truths about, um, especially coming from, from a country like Malaysia, right, where there's so much corruption, where you see the more money people have, the more power they have, mm -hmm. and the more power they have, the more opportunity they have to misuse that power. And it's like, it's a thing, it's become such a norm in Malaysia that, that, it's 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 regular for you to have a conversation about corruption, about taking bribes. That mm -hmm. is something that happens on a daily basis. That that policemen themselves come and tell us that oh, out of uh, my whole income, uh, out of my whole income, maybe like twenty percent is what the government pays me, eighty percent is what I make off bribes. And it's upfront kind of upfront kind of conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I I hope that I hope that's that's something that, that that can change because the fact is that corruption is one of the biggest sources mm -hmm, of of, mm -hmm. of the problem, right? Yeah. yeah, corruption is is definitely like a big a big issue in a lot of countries. And like when it comes to corruption, it's a bit more complicated because like that's like where you get the technicalities. Is like um, also the history of the country, right? Usually, corruption is deep rooted. Corruption is like a culture, right? If you find that your government is corrupted now, um, they have already been corrupted a long time ago. You need to like sort of ask like why, like what like what started it, like where did this culture begin, and what like what kind of system that was set in place that allowed this to take place and still continue to this day. And that one is a bit difficult, but I think for now, when this politics is so broad and it affects everything, you know, um, I feel like in 2020, the most like persisting issues like human rights issue, gay rights issue, um, Black Lives Matter, and in Malaysia, you know, police brutality, like it's really bad discrimination and stuff like that. And all of this very, very complicated issue that we have today, social issues, social, yeah, more of like in the social, one, not in the economic one, because um, I, I don't really, to be honest, I'm not really well versed in the economy um, side of things. I don't really, that's not really where um, I'm interested in. But in the social side of things, um, I think the, the, the fix that we need right now is just teaching each other how to be more empathetic and how to be more caring. It starts with your family. It starts with your friend, you know, and empathy can be learned. Like, that's the good part. You can teach empathy to people. But like with, and once we know how to take care of another and once we know how to be good people i feel like then it's more then it's easier to make change as one right because like then it's not us versus them it's just us versus you big brother <laughs> you know but if you're fighting amongst yourself then you can't you know that would go against uh, i can't remember who was the guy who coined this who coined this uh idea but uh, the idea of the thesis versus the anti-thesis 
uh, forming a synthesis, he would come and say that, oh, if if you all banded as one, was it Karl Marx? Yeah, I, it, I, was. Uh, it was. Yeah, if if you guys don't fight, if there is no conflict, then there is no advancement. So it's good that that there is us versus them. Only then can there be some kind of advancement in society, in technology. What do you say to that? Uh, I have a lot of opinions about Karl Marx. <laughs> 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 no, um, I I think, I think it's oh, I think he represents. He's like a zeitgeist. Like he's he. I think Karl Marx is a good window in which you know if you look you can look at a lot of things like he represents a lot of how we feel about capitalism you know he is like he's this person because when he wrote all his communist manifesto and stuff like that it was like at the peak of industrialization right in the early industrialization so like and there's a lot of resentment there the thing about communism there's a lot of resentment there's a lot of like hatred and i think just on my personal opinion i feel like it's kind of times up for that you know that kind of mentality it's it's outdated these days i think conflict and like um i think that's outdated like we've been doing that for so long haven't we humanity like might makes right you know do whatever it takes like do whatever you need to do to 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 get what you want we've been thinking like that for so long that's a very masculine way of thinking right politics is patriarchal yeah. there's a lot of forces a lot of violence so i think yeah sure like conflict is good if you think about it but like sounds like it needs therapy <laughs> because you can make change <laughs> in a nice way you don't have to go one another to make change like you uh, there are ways to make advancement yeah there's a lot of conflict. ways yeah there's a lot of ways you don't have to hurt one another you know you know i think uh this is just my my perspective of this is that um we have we have uh attached ourselves to the so-called darwinian uh darwinian evolution theory you know where um survival of the fittest mm-hmm. right so that that is what causes conflicts and therefore you advance and uh the idea is that you evolve into something that has that is better than than what you were previously mm-hmm. right whether we are talking about us as a as a race or a, as a human race or as a society as a group of people we are stepping forward through some kind of process and that this process is the so called conflict that we're talking about but i think we have reached a point in life and uh, in in advancement that there is a way that advancement can take place there is a way that we can evolve without the need for conflict the difference is that we kept trying to survive we kept looking to uh, fulfill our needs and uh, and then as per the maslow's hierarchy of needs to a- attain some kind of um, pleasure and live comfortably right but now that we have achieved that now that the world is capable of that there has to be another form of advancement and that's where i think spirituality steps in right? yes only 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 when you seek within can you truly um advance further than where we are already now you can go yes. you can you can keep fighting and keep fighting and advance your technology in a way where you can travel back in time like let's say like you can travel back in time but this song is not going to change anything it's not going to change anything in our world now yeah. it's not going to do much yes. you know and um actually like uh when you look at like our lifestyle and gdp and economy and everything the world has more money than it ever did before right now we are so rich like you know like even if you're a middle class person now You know like you you feel like oh you're just a 9 to 5 you you have food like you, your house is small you are still living better than most of the lords and the ladies 300 400 years ago you're living more comfortable than them actually like right now this generation we have more money than we ever did as humanity you know but um again poverty is like relative right like we are richer but like the wealth gap is so big that like it doesn't feel like that <laughs> you know it yeah. this that poverty mindset So I think yeah if you want to keep looking for like better 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 you're not gonna it's hard it's 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 
just you know just like as you said just look within like this became more spiritual than i intended to be but like that's it honestly like um if you keep chasing and stuff like that because poverty is relative right like if you tell a middle class person right now that hey do you know that you're living better off you're like living a better lifestyle than like lords and ladies you're gonna get a slap on your face yeah but i could live better is what they're gonna say (laughs) yeah i could be richer you know i could be richer there's people like jeff bezos like bill gates well yeah like poverty is relative but you don't you know if you look at it you are actually living off better than these people in the past it's the it's the direction of thought that needs to change like stop looking stop looking outward start looking inward it's how i would summarize it yeah and there's like this one clever quote i mean this one quote i really like it's like when i was younger I was clever, so I tried to change the world. Now that I'm older and I'm wiser, I try to change myself. Yeah. I I swear I just read that like yesterday, like somewhere. Really? Really? <laughs> this is not this is not coincidence. This is no coincidence. You were meant to heard that message, maybe. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, thanks, thanks so much for uh, for talking to us, uh, Yvette. Thanks for sharing all your thoughts and uh, your ideas. I I've learned more than I've learned any time before in my entire life about politics. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I I felt like I was underqualified, but this was fun. So. <laughs> no, oh my God, please don't say that. Honestly, I, I've learned so much in the past hour or so of this episode. If anything, it's, it's so, we are the ones so... who are unqualified. Who are underqualified? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just feel because okay, uh, my approach to politics is really weird. My my approach to politics is very hippie. Uh, not a lot of people in my class or like in my major shares well, my views. So. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, you found two from Malaysia who will stand yeah. with you. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> you find yeah, you guys understand me. <laughs> Uh, do you do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? So, uh, I think for your listeners, I just want to say um, when you, I hope that you don't give up on politics. I hope young people don't give up in politics. And I hope when you hear bad things happening in politics, um, you don't feel too emotional. I hope you I hope you can see past through it, and I hope that you can still find it in you too want to make change because that's the only thing that's giving anybody any sense of hope right now is like you know we can't give up when it comes it's, it's frustrating it's emotional it's depressing it's dark but it's not impossible to change and like that's that's it thank you thank you for sharing your, your optimism with us i uh, i've always felt kind of uh, alone being optimistic because it's very hard to be optimistic it's hard. Right? yeah i literally jen looks at me and says you're too much of an idealist and then i said you're, you're like he's optimistic and then everybody else is just pessimistic so it's nice to it's like for it's, uh, honestly like a big change of pace mm-hmm. in all of these things that's good <laughs> but thank you so much for coming and on today yeah. it's been amazing and oh my god i hope to have you on so many episodes i think this is one episode oh. that i actually don't want the conversation to end i know we have a whole ass convo about karl marx like yes yeah. go oh <laughs> yeah this is All really right, fun. you know what you know what i'm gonna start listening to your podcast while i'm studying now <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy <laughs> That's because she's in it now. That's because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to call me out like that, but yeah, it's true. <laughs> you are now committed. I do like your I do like your intro though. I just gonna say I didn't say that before, but I do like your intro song. Really? Ah, oh, yeah. You. Like, you win, sir. You win selection actually. I really like it. Oh my god, it wasn't mine. 
I played it for him and then I gave him five songs and then I said pick one and he picked the exact one that I the only one that I ever wanted like I was <laughs> like okay that's it. Yes, <laughs> nice. All right guys, uh oh thank God. you guys for for sticking up to this long. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you learned a thing or two along with us and we hope that you can share uh you can adopt our optimism and, and yeah, let's uh let's make the world a better place together. Uh see you tomorrow guys. Cheers. Yeah, see you tomorrow guys. Cheers. <laughs>